So before we get into the episode, be sure to go and check out the first five episodes of A Blind Insight. They are with Nina Chesworth, Carl Coon, Simon Brown, Libby Clegg and Robin Christofferson. This is the final episode of this series officially. Um, I will be having a bonus one that comes out this Sunday morning, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Be sure to follow and subscribe, drop your comments and ratings, let me know what you thought of this past series. And yeah, let's get straight into the episode. Hello and welcome to That Blind As Podcast. Today I have a, another Paralympian on in the form of Laura Fatchy. Laura, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for um, coming on my podcast and, and telling your, your story. No problems. It's great to be on. So with um, most of my guests, I'd basically like to go right to the, the beginning as a, a young Laura, I suppose you could say. So, yeah, the, the stage is yours. Yeah, yeah so um, I was born with a visual impairment. Um, it's a family condition. Um, and it affects my mum and my two brothers and myself. So I had a little bit more sight than I do now, but it deteriorated at pretty much around, around five or six, so a fairly young age. Um, mm. So I don't really remember having sight. Um, but all my family are incredibly sporty and determined, and we've never let our visual impairment kind of stop us from getting involved in sport. Yeah. Uh, and and that's so from a very young age I was I was doing different sports I was trying different things um settled on athletics all the way through my childhood teenage years um and then got a bit sick of it <laughs> when I was a bit older and took a break went off to university did a did my degree in physiotherapy and while I was at uni um someone I, I was talking to a friend and I'd I was going through a bit of a bad patch in uni. I was wasn't very happy, and, and my my friend sort of said, you know, why don't you go back to doing sport, competing? And I was like, I really want to, but I just don't want to go back to athletics. Yeah. Uh, so she told me about someone who'd switched. He'd been to Beijing Paralympics as, as a runner, um, and then he'd switched from running to cycling, rode on the back, was riding on the back of a tandem, and okay. he was he was loving it. So um and and I'd I'd seen tandem riding at, on the TV in Beijing Beijing Paralympics and I, at the time yeah. I, I remember thinking that sounds that sounds awesome I'd love to <laughs> give that a go and and suddenly there was this opportunity of like you know I could get in touch with him ask him how he got involved um and hopefully you know something might come from it and mm. I did um and sort of six weeks later I was on on a tandem um having a go with, with a girl who lived not too far from me and then a couple of weeks later we did our first race and off the back of that pretty much we got selected for a world championships yeah. um, which was incredibly quick this was back yeah. in 2009 now um it was, it was it happened incredibly quickly um but it kind of was obviously meant to be because yeah here i am now sort of 11 years later still would still you say doing it. Would you say from the first time you got on one that you thought, yeah, this I, I like, I'm, I'm enjoying this. This could be something I, you know, keep I, with. I've always loved the freedom, like the feeling on the back of the tent, like you feel so free, and and especially because I don't have any control on where we go, so all I get is the the sensation of speed, and 
it's yeah. very addictive um for my first my first tandem ride wasn't actually plain sailing we had a few mechanicals so um yeah. <laughs> but it didn't Always stop me way. yeah oh tandems are terrible um but it it you know it it didn't stop me at all from from kind of getting the bug and and yeah mm. so going back to like uh, a young staff with what percentage of site did you have going through like um you know primary school and stuff like that or was, so, was it a big hindrance um i've always been a braille reader braille user um i could up until around five i could read large print if they were written in big thick black letters but that was about yeah. it um my i don't I've, I've always kind of needed to read and write in braille yeah um, and when i was at nursery so a, a sort of free while all the kids I, I went to mainstream i grew up in mainstream education um and all the children around me were learning to read and write and i was kind of learning to read braille and write braille at the same time mm. um i could so <laughs> a funny story um up until around four or five my my two brothers who are both older than me um they have but by that point had no have no sight um and they used to use me to find their football in the back garden when they because <laughs> they had a they had one of the audible balls um, yeah if they if they lost it it was always my job to go and find it um <laughs> but after about five or six i became i became useless at that as well <laughs> <laughs> you just you they'd shout you know you'd be like yeah i know what they want it's yeah that's that football again <laughs> but no, so, it's, I mean it's never really impact you know negatively impacted me. No. Sometimes it's been frustrating, and the one thing you do get very good at, especially growing through magic, mainstream education, is problem mm. solving. Um, with with the the braille, it's it's even now it's quite rare that um kids with any sort of visual impairment, unless you're totally blind from birth or something like that, it's rare that you learn it and use it from a, such an early age so was that mm. like was that encouragement of the school or your parents or i think it was because i it was my only means of of learning to read and write at that time yeah um i um, maybe it was helped by the fact that my mom and dad are both braille users so yeah. my, we, my mom and dad are both visually impaired um i say my mom's is the hereditary condition that we all have but mom and dad because when you know when my parents were young, the done thing was to send them off to blind school, and you know never should sighted people and well sighted children and blind children mix in case they mm. were infectious. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so they you know that mum and dad met at um, at blind school and um, obviously you know one thing led to another and then. And, and you know they they got married and had the three yeah. of us, um, and so yeah, it probably helped that my both my parents and my two brothers already read braille. Mm. Um, I know my eldest brother Mark, he had quite a lot of sight up until around um, eight or nine, and he didn't learn to read braille until a little later. Um, mm. But then both myself and Roy, who's the middle brother, um, he. We both learned Braille from from pretty much, you know, three yeah. or four years old. Which I think is only, you know, a good thing like this. 
definitely. You know, I think it's it's easier to say these days that ah, we don't need don't need braille. You know, we've got all this all the technology. You know, blah blah blah. But I mean, I think it's a really skill. I, I don't know myself, but uh, it's definitely on the on the list, I suppose. Yeah, it's something I'm quite proud of to to, to be able to read braille. I think you know it, it is a skill. Um, and mm. it's a, it does frustrate me now and see young my, my um I've got a visually impaired niece and she she didn't learn braille in the same way we did as quickly and um I think it's a shame that we're, mm. we're just technology is great and and don't get me wrong there's there's a lot that technology has been great for having a visual impairment you know it makes a, so many things far more accessible but you can't sometimes technology fails and you need a, yeah. you need to fall back and yeah but it is very cool. I've, I've, i was listening to something where they say um you kind of see that i don't really know because i haven't really used it much but it's, you still get that feeling of you know not having a robot voice shower your you know just being able to kind of read as naturally yeah. and obviously write as naturally as possible without you it, know having some screen of some sort yeah um I, I definitely like even when I was at university when I was I was revising for the exams and stuff I would switch I would I had all my books and, and and notes electronically on my computer but I would quite mm. often get my all my notes printed out in braille just so I could sit there and read it and have it in front of me like yeah. it just it just seemed to, I seemed to be able to process it and take it in much better that way yeah definitely so would would you say edu- obviously you said you you went through education just in mainstream schools would mm. you say that was a did you enjoy it or did you kind of what what was your experience of mainstream education for the majority um i did enjoy it um i was lucky in my being the youngest of three so my two brothers had been through the same schools as me so mm. there was quite a lot already set up in the in kind of support so um and and my roy was only a couple of years older than me so we were you know we were at school at the same time and and it was quite nice to sort of have an older brother who also couldn't see and he was fairly popular in the school so a lot of his brothers uh, a lot of his friends would stick up for me if, if ever anything kind of mm. was going on um i did have the odd you know bullying episode or whatever but i think yeah that's that's kind of sadly to be expected in in schools it's it's something yeah i know what you mean yeah it's, um, it's come kind of sounds bad but it kind of comes with it yeah, in a way, because you'll I always think, have those, you know, ignorant, yeah. rude people. Especially kids. I think it. I think it as well. It for me. I think it. The children around me benefited from having a visually impaired person in their school because it alerted them to the fact that there are, you know, yes, people do have disabilities and people do um, have differences, but we can all mm-hmm. still get on and we can all still be successful and. It, you know, it, it taught them how to integrate with people, you know, with disabilities into society and accept them a lot more easily. Yeah, um, definitely. And you can tell 
Um, I think more when you kind of go to like college or university when people haven't really came into contact with many disabled people and they're like, they, they don't say a word to you. Yeah. You know, they're a bit almost, they don't know how to interact with you as if you can't talk or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've, I've had a few of them, but, um, you know, it, 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 I think it helps you with the, like, the, uh, the more you have to deal with that at a younger age, the better you get at managing those situations and not letting Definitely, them yeah. affect you. Like, the fact I can, that I can just laugh people off like that who are, I mean, it yeah. does sometimes. If I'm, you know, having a bad day and I, I, inter- I have to interact with someone who is very um, narrow-minded and just not, you know, not disability aware, sometimes it does bug me. Mm. Um, but the majority of the time now, I actually feel sorry for them and pity <laughs> them rather than, you know, they might be trying to you know, feel sorry for me and pity me, but it, it goes both ways because they're the ones that are suffering, not me. Yeah, they're, they're the ones that are just narrow-minded. They've just had a closed life. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. And I think, as you say, that's an important thing of being able to, you know, almost joke about yes disability i don't know how to say it without you know no you do you have to you have to laugh it off because if you could if you don't laugh it off you'll end up crying about it and you can't live your life crying but yeah. you can live your life laughing exactly yeah that's that's probably the the best way and the most positive way to deal with it and like you said it's yeah. not like you know you know it's not like we're invincible and nothing gets because no. like you said stuff does from time to time but yeah definitely the best Laughter is the best form of medicine. Oh, definitely, definitely. So in secondary school, what was, did was there like a, a standout subject that you enjoyed and kind of got you through, through those um, years? My main, my, my favourite subjects were kind of French. I was good at languages. Um, uh, I was good at maths. And PE, I had, a, I, I loved PE because obviously I loved doing sport. Mm. Um, however, I did struggle with PE in mainstream. I didn't have the best PE teachers for um, supporting me. Mm. Um, so when it came to taking my GCSEs, I, the, my degree, I want, well, what I wanted to be when I grew up was a physiotherapist. Um, so when I was picking my, my GCSEs, I was looking at what subjects would kind of help me with, with that for the future, which was obviously um, sciences and then also PE so I and, and because I was good at sport and PE and that I wanted to do that subject yeah however they they basically said that because I was blind I couldn't participate in team sport mm. so yeah. I couldn't do the PE GCSE which obviously then um got me very annoyed and also got my my parents very annoyed and they basically said yes you can do team sport you just have to be you just have to adapt and look out you know think outside the box um mm-hmm. so they went they did they did agree to let me do it do it in the end and I ended up being the first student in the whole of that school to get an A star in PE <laughs> um which I then which obviously it was, it was a bit two fingers to them yeah yeah um, and then so I then went on to do a level P and in my AS level I 
And um, as I went on to do my AS AS level, I went to speak to my PE teachers, like to sign up to the the A level. And I spoke to, he was actually my form tutor as well. And he said to me, oh, were you pleased with your GCSE? And I said, yeah. I said, I couldn't really have done much better. And I'd seen the results by that. And I'd only dropped in the, in the theory side of the exam, I'd only dropped three marks on the whole paper. Mm. Um, and so I said, yeah, I couldn't really have done much better, could I? And he replied with, well, we'll see when we, um, we re review your, your, um, your degrees, uh, your, your paper, basically. So they were going to recall it because they, I don't think he could just accept that I'd, you know, done that well. Yeah. Um, and it, it, I just thought it was a bit bitter. He was just, he just couldn't quite accept that someone who couldn't see could be that good at that sport. Um, but, you know, I'm a Paralympic champion now and hopefully he can finally sort of accept that, yeah, people with disabilities are still extremely capable of 100%, doing yeah. sport. And, and, so, yeah. was it like... It was, I mean, it's not the first time I've, I've spoke to quite a few people that like now do sports as like a, mm. a living, and they'll when I, when you ask them about their PE experiences in school, like it just support just wasn't there. And if anything, from my experience, it, it still isn't really. No. Um. So was it was it a matter of fact of just kind of um you know kind of educating your teachers and saying look this is what you can do to adapt and this is how I can be involved just like everyone yeah. else I think um again I that that's the one positive of blind school is that things like sport is adapted for everyone already yeah um but I think it's if you get a really good teacher in school who's prepared to adapt and, and like I say, think outside the box and try different things, then you're laughing. But it, it all depends on the, the teachers that you, you're exposed to. Um, I was very lucky that because my parents, you know, were visually impaired and they, they were both incredibly sporty themselves. They knew what was available and they knew my options. So... When I said I want to start running, they knew who to go to and how to access it. Um, yeah. And I think these days there is definitely becoming a lot more awareness of, and, you know, like you can go and find, it, it, it's a lot easier to find places that are adapted and clubs that are, that will adapt sport for disabled and, and things like that. Um, but when we were growing up, it wasn't much harder. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully, I think I've noticed a massive change in for sport anyway since London 2012. Uh, it seems, yeah. um, I, think that was a I can't believe that was like eight years ago already, but I do think that was a, a massive step forward in power sport yeah. in general. Um, for, for society and for sport specific, I think it, it really opened people's eyes to possibilities. Mm. I think it's more like you kind of get like relating to that. I think you kind of have to kind of like almost shove it in front of people and say, Look, yeah, people don't know how to really have, you can do it, just look at watch this. <laughs> it's like yeah. this person's 
doing a better job than that person who's you know able-bodied in some yeah. in some circumstances so i think yeah like you said 2012 was a, a quite a, a, probably the catalyst yeah. for just spreading that message yeah definitely so what was it was it during secondary school that you you first got into athletics was it no it was back in um primary school and the the what sparked it was um when i was about six or seven i was rummaging around in my mum's wardrobe when i was bored and um i used to quite often like to try on her her high heels and try and walk in them and, and silly things like that that yeah. kids do um, and I came across a pair of her, uh, an old pair of her running spikes because my mum was a good uh, runner she she um so I, I was asking her about them and she was telling me about what you know why she wore them and, and that and um and I was like I want to do that I want to be a runner so it started like from about eight or nine really I, I started doing bit of running cross country things like that um did my first kind of race when I was about 12 I think 11 or 12 um broke my legs doing long jump when I was 13 um and then a year to the day of breaking my leg I represented Great Britain for the first time in that oh, wow. first cross country race so that that um, never uh, that never pretty down not really I, I can't do, I, I I can't I can't bring myself to do long jump anymore. I do, uh, <laughs> e- even if I stand on a runway, it, it does freak me out a little bit. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I was more of a, uh, I loved cross country, 800 metres, 1500 metres. Um, they were my main events. I went to the junior world championships when I was 16, won the, won the 800 metres. Um, and, and then, yeah, I just fell out love of it I, I struggled a little bit sort of doing my GCSEs and, and training mm-hmm. full-time and at the time the coach who had some input with me was he was kind of he'd, he'd said a couple of things that as a as a teenager I was quite impressionable he commented about my weight I remember or and I think it was an offhand comment but it at that age you're very impressionable and you see all these skinny middle distance long distance runners and you think I need to be as light as possible and so I struggled a bit with kind of knowing what to eat and eating the right things and not eating enough which then meant you know for for a while I was really not very healthy and, and, and that sort of thing so I took a break from athletics um, through my my A levels and focused on getting myself to university, um, and then and then yeah, um, just kept myself fit because I've I've always loved sport and I, I love the way you know the the endorphin rush of exercise. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. And then, so so you date was like a just like a like. Like you said, your coach never is just like a few things kind of support. You know, this is this isn't maybe the way you want to go right at that mm-hmm. moment. So, or, yeah, the best thing you can do is get uh, qualifications and see where you are in so many years' time. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, I, I like I said, I've I've never really 
there are eight times now where I think I wonder what I'd do if I stuck my running spikes on and did a went for a 800 meters. I'd, I'd be intrigued to see what I'd, you know, what time I'd do. But um, I have ended up with cycling. I have ended up down similar kind of. I, I'm very much an endurance sort of cyclist and yeah. much more of a longer distance. Um, so yeah. what would you say obviously you you stopped the athletics did you have did you have a plan of what maybe you wanted to do or was it kind of just see what I, comes along i always wanted to be a physiotherapist from the age of 10 i i decided i wanted to be a physiotherapist um and i wanted to work in pediatrics specifically yeah. um neuropediatrics so i wanted to work with kids with multiple disability you know complex disabilities um i did a couple of work experiences like volunteering in schools with um re special needs schools and, and that and that was that was how i always i never really as much as i loved sport i never saw myself kind of doing it for my job yeah. um i when when it got announced that in 2005 that London would be hosting the games I did think um I'd love to I, I would love to go to them I'd love to be part of that mm. but I, I'd already walked you know stepped back from athletics so I, I didn't really think it would be possible um and then this opportunity with cycling came along 2009 and I just thought suddenly you know London seems so much more mm. of an opportunity nice. and and I really would love to be a part of it. So that was kind of the real driving force for for getting kind of serious with cycling. Um, so I, I, that was in my second year at physio of, of, of my degree in Birmingham, um, which then, so I, I, I finished my degree and I just, um, in my final year of, of university, I, I was also training full time. I'd, I'd been accepted onto the then kind of development program for for the um, British Cycling, so I was I was funded as well, um, and so as soon as I finished my degree, I just moved straight up to Manchester and kind of became a cyclist, and that's what I've been ever since, really. Um, so, so would you say that the the idea of the twenty twelve Olympics being held in you know obviously your home country was that like the was that the motivation of for yeah let's let's do this that yeah. be you know, that'd be something yeah. that'd be that'd be the most to tell your grandkids that you know that yeah push um and it's a shame really because my I don't now look back on London with very fond memories um it's not like I, I you know I'm proud that I got to go and experience it but I didn't enjoy mm. it um, um so what what was was what was the uh the obviously was it three years he did and up until yeah. Yeah, what was that that period of time like just training I suppose and yeah it was very intense um because I'd never I didn't really I when I got on fandom I didn't know anything about cycling I didn't know how to ride a bike I hadn't I'd had a bike as a child um but because I couldn't see properly I'd never been able to get the stabilizers off it so you know I couldn't ride a bike I, I didn't, I didn't yeah. know anything so it was uh, the initial kind of three year, two three years was was very overwhelming I was definitely thrown in at the deep end 
Um, and unfortunately, at the time as well, the atmosphere of the paracycling team, the British cycling team as a whole, wasn't the best. There were quite a few characters in the, in the team that weren't there for the right reasons. Um, they were like just there to go to London and, and it was it, it wasn't very enjoyable. Um, fortunately, kind of post after London, there was a big kind of revamp of things around British cycling as a whole and um, the atmosphere and, and that started to change around the squad and it's a good job it did really because I don't think I would have I would have continued to do it because although I do love you know I, I do love riding my bike I love riding in tandem but you've got you know it when it you've got a kind of sport is for enjoyment yeah. Um, and when you stop enjoying it and it, it starts becoming a job, then you're not doing it for the right reasons. No. And is that is that a big thing as well, the the atmosphere? Obviously, it's all good when you're actually, you know, officially competing at your, your championships and Paralympics. It's all good but... when, when you're winning things. Um, it's, it's when you're not winning and things aren't going well. And then, you know, if, if there isn't the support around you, and yeah. then, and that then that's when it starts to become hard. Yeah, because I think it's it's it all comes down to I suppose confidence and just general morale amongst yeah everyone a part of it. You know, you want you want to be able to if you've just lost something or something, you want to be able to look to someone next to you and be like, and they can be. You also want to be you want to be able to be proud of what you've done. Like if you lose, it's not. Some, it's not failure. It's you should still be able to walk away being um, proud of your performance. Yeah. Um, I I think the the best sports people are not necessarily always the ones that win everything. They're the ones that come back from losing and keep picking themselves up and can lose with dignity. Mm. Um, not you know winning. Yes, you are. You are extremely good at your sport, but. Are you are you a good sports person? I, yeah, I don't exactly. know. It's, it's an interesting one. Especially some people that maybe you know you got your you know elite athletes, I suppose you'd call them that mm. maybe aren't used to losing, and you'd like you kind of think, well, what if you did come, you know, inches away of winning a bronze, for example? How would you mentally deal with yeah. that? Would you come back the next time? Yeah. So you said that 2012 wasn't a massively enjoyable uh, time. Why was that, do you think? Or was it kind of what you've already touched on? Um, I think the atmosphere around the squad wasn't, um, wasn't very friendly. Um, and also, for me, at the time, there was, a lot of basic, like, there was a lot of pressure to win a gold medal. Like, and it was either, if you, you know, Go, go to your home games and win a gold medal was this big thing. Um, and I I didn't. Um, and because I'd had this mindset of winning, you know, you have to win a gold medal to be accepted yeah. almost. Um, and I didn't, I, I just didn't feel accepted on the squad or, or part of the squad. Um, I also, so... Um, I finished fourth in both events on the, on the velodrome, and then I, I was during the time trial. I was actually we were actually leading the um, the race, 
Queen's were about 15 seconds up um, mm. with about 5k to go. And we had a mechanical on the tandem um, yeah. the chain jammed, which meant we had to basically we had to come to a stop, standstill, get off the bike while I fixed it, mm. um, which obviously lost us a hell of a lot of time. And we either came in seventh or eighth, I can't really remember. So to get within, you know, get that close of, of fulfilling my dream of becoming a Paralympic champion and winning a gold medal in front of a home crowd and, and my family who'd all come down to support me and then have it snatched away was was a very hard thing for me to deal with. Especially something um, that's out of your hands and you yeah. know, like it's mechanical. It's like, it's just one of those ones where you, 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 you just have to... Yeah. Know. So I really... Like I really struggled mentally after that. I felt like I'd failed, and I felt like I'd let um, like my friends and my family down, and everything like that. Um, and and even to the, like I remember because the day after the closing ceremony of the Paralympics, we had the big homecoming parade through London. Um, it was it was so many, you know, millions of people came out to to cheer and support, and I just felt like I shouldn't I didn't belong there I shouldn't be there because I I hadn't I didn't deserve their their you know their cheers and their kind of celebration because I'd let them down um but fortunately fortunately I, I you know I, I had a lot of help from sports psychology and just my friends and family around me helped me kind of come around and see that I I hadn't failed. Um, yeah. There was a lot I could learn from it um, going forward, and and kind of convinced me to um, just give it, keep going with it, and keep trying. And and so I did. And I said, I'll give it another year. I'll, I'll see how I feel after the next year. And if if things, you know, if I I feel happier again riding a bike, then we'll stick at it. And the 2013 like almost a year to the day of of that time trial um i raced the world championships in canada and became a world champion um so like that that sort of turnaround in that year it it just really kind of you know it did definitely help pick me up but yeah i'd obviously the, the hard work of picking myself up had been done over the winter and, and we'd had we'd had a really good kind of it was just the, that confidence boost that I needed that I was doing the right thing and I was in the right sport mm. um, that that pick, picking yourself up from the 2012 Paralympics was that like the, the you know what was, was that the most important bit that you know you, that you could come back from yeah. Yeah. disappointment so to speak and, and obviously go all the way to the top pretty much yeah yeah and then, so, yeah, and then to, to kind of be able to four years later um, to actually become a Paralympic champion and, and kind of yeah, almost not redeem myself. I didn't need to, but it felt, you know, it felt it was it was that kind of <laughs> almost relief of yes, I've, I have done it this time. I've you know I've become. I've become so it's the, the, those four, well, including the years before the twenty-five. Those. Mm-hmm seven years are kind of pretty much all, all paid off and yeah. you, you know yeah. you've, you've achieved something that, that you, the time the effort and the work that you put in warrants I suppose yeah finally, finally. yeah 
Yeah, I'm so, right. so was it was it all did you kind of stay motivated in those years between twelve and sixteen Paralympics was always there or did you kinda of have times where you like I think you always have ups and downs and when you're confident you have confidence knocks. Um mm. there were a couple there were definitely a, a couple of lows. Um two thousand fifteen was a very tough year and they were so with British cycling, there's there's two people on the tandem. There's myself on the back, um, yeah. who's called the Stoker. Um, so that's the visually impaired person, and then there's a fully sighted person on the front, and they're an athlete in their own right. Um, so they're they're funded as well, and they train full time as well. And quite often they're um, able-bodied athletes that haven't quite made the step up to elite. Um, to represent their country as as an individual themselves, so yeah. they they kind of get channeled into being a pilot, which that's what so the person on the front is called a pilot. Mm. Um, and in the start of two thousand fifteen, um, they were they were playing around a little bit with with the pairing someone else, someone riding with me, um, and I didn't get a say in it. It was just that what they wanted to do, and there was. The girl I so after London I swapped pilots and started riding with a new girl and um Kareen Hall. And that's when we got started to win everything. <laughs> um and we worked really well together. And then they they decided to they were looking at this other girl to see what she was like and we just did not get on well. We didn't work well on the bike together, but they seemed to persist with it quite a lot and um I had a couple of quite scary moments when I was training with her, um, which really knocked my confidence on the bike. Because obviously, when you're on a tandem and you can't see where you're going, you have to completely trust the person on the front yeah. that they've got your best interests in heart. Uh, you know, and they they're going to keep you safe. Yeah. Um, and I just did not have that trust with her. And then we were doing a race, um, and we crashed. And it wasn't my fault. I had crashed. You know, I crashed. A I had a big crash in 2011 and I'd had a couple of smaller training crashes but um, this one seemed to just really really knock me and I don't think I ever actually accepted how much it knocked me until probably post Rio post you know, post 2016 Paralympic Games and, mm-hmm. and, that. and I think it's only really since the start of lockdown where I've not had to do a lot of racing and I've been looking at other things to you know how to how to make how to better myself in my training over the past six months that I've really started to appreciate how badly it knocked my confidence yeah um, so reflection yeah um so no it, it isn't you know it's it's never been plain sailing but then I think if it was plain sailing you really wouldn't appreciate as much as it sounds nice to just keep winning everything and and, yeah. and that you don't you don't appreciate it in the same way like that winning that Paralympic as much as I found London upsetting um winning the title in 2016 meant so much more to me because I'd had to overcome and I'd mm. had to had had to fight for it yeah, um, yeah so it is all part of the journey and it's all part of the story and it's you know it's as much as it's not nice to have those experiences, they're they make you who you are, and they're what make you appreciate the good times even more. Yeah, they build your your character. And yeah, 
make you stronger and you know more so if if, if it does happen again if it does happen again you can be like yeah i've came back from this once i can yeah. do it again yeah is that is that chemistry between yourself and the pilot is that probably one of the most important things in i think in... so yeah you have to definitely be compatible on a bike like you don't necessarily have to get on with a person socially off the no. bike you know but when you're training you do need to you need to trust each other um you need to respect each other it's the, it's the simple things really it's the basics of you need to yeah. be able to communicate well um like i completely i'm i'm back you know i've, I've been training with kareen and we've been back racing we've, we raced rio together and, and we've raced every competition since together um and we do you know we we work well on the bike and it's it is we are well matched um so it it, it you know it is good that way we do trust each other and we both know that each other's doing all they possibly can in training to make sure they're in the best shape possible for for when we need to be yeah obviously time can only translate into that good partnership and understanding it's it's funny though with Kareem we literally back in 2013 the first time I jumped down in tandem we were um, we won our first race we um, we just we've always um, we've always worked well together it's when people start to try and overcomplicate things and get involved Mm -hmm. and they think they're helping and, and you know trying to to make things better but actually when when you me and kareem work best when you you keep it simple and you, you strip it back we're we're obviously yeah. well matched so yeah is, is that not obviously you said with that person you was everything was going fine why did they want to try and change it in 2015 did they just like said they want to try and make it better or um, just, just wanting to just because there has been another female tandem, so she had been riding with another stoker, and that stoker wasn't good enough, so they'd mm. they'd taken her off the squad, but she was still around, so they needed they needed a reason to get rid of her as a pilot, um, and also at the time, Kareen wasn't she she had a couple of injury problems and things like that, yeah, so um, she was coming back from injury. Um, yeah, I, it was frustrating, it was a very frustrating time, but yeah, right. yeah. So, obviously, coming off the back of 20, 2016, and then you, you you became a Paralympic champion, what was what was the aftermath of like that? Was you still motivated to carry on, or was you kind yeah. of like have um, completed kind of thing? It's it's been funny. I've um, so my favorite event on the and the tandem. I, I love the road. I love time trialing and road racing. Um, mm. So I, my Paralympic title is on the velodrome on the, in the three kilometre pursuit. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I desperately want the time trial title because that's the one I almost got in London. Um, mm. And it's, it's the event I love the most. So that's been my motivation pretty much since Rio is that I want I want that time trial title. 
um i they had him off of rio i mean it was a crazy few months because as soon we got back from rio and um i got married six weeks after after that um my husband is also a um paralympic cyclist he's a he's a stoker on the back of uh he does sprint he's a sprinter um okay. so he he became a paralympic he was paralympic champion in 2012 and when he got silver and it, the same the same day i became i i won my title in 2016 he got silver um okay. and so it we you know we both we both kind of do sport together it's how we met it's it's funny enough the story i was telling you about the person who switched over from athletics to cycling and, uh, and got me involved at the start is actually neil who's now my husband um uh -huh. so yeah um full was, circle kind of thing yeah yeah um yeah it i think it'd be it'd be nice like london was his games and rio was mine so Hopefully Tokyo will be both of ours, but we'll see. Huh. Sounds like 2016 was quite a, especially around the summertime, quite a, a, a packed. <laughs> yeah, it was very busy. But I <laughs> see uh, people always laugh when I say this, but I used planning my wedding as a de-stressor. So <laughs> I, whenever I kind of, I, I used it as a distraction to, to stop myself thinking and yeah. focusing and gave me something else to think about when when the games came around um so and it also it was nice to have that like whatever happens in rio whether i win or lose or whatever i've still got i'm still going to get married six weeks later i've still got that to look mm -hmm. forward to um nothing you know doesn't matter what i do at these games i'm still going to yeah. have that um yeah. and that's something i've learned that's one of my coping mechanisms now of how to deal with the pressure and it's not the pressure that other people put on me it's the pressure i put on myself to win like but if i if i have a distraction or something positive that to look forward to that's completely irrelevant it just seems to help with my mental kind of my that sort of balance of stopping me from becoming too obsessed with is win or nothing you know, you yeah. can still be proud of of a silver medal or a bronze medal, or even just get into a race. There's still something to be proud of. Interesting, yeah. So, obviously, you say you're you're um you're focusing on the challenge ride. Is that is that purely your your only focus, or are you kind of no? Keeping... We'll we'll race all the events again. So in in Rio we did the pursuit, the time trial, and the road race. So and the same, and it would be very nice. I would. I would love to defend my, you know, pursuit title um, yeah. next year as well. No, next year. Yeah, I've been saying that for two years now. So, <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose we could come on to that whole thing. Obviously, going into 2020, you know, no one really knew. Well, we didn't expect it to go the way it's gone. No one did. But mm -hmm. was, was that... was. We should kind of just all set like you know 2020 tokyo that was that was that was it that was going to be what you yeah. experienced for yeah pretty much um so you know that's all we were focused on and and we we kind of planned things for post everything was we're going to do this post tokyo post tokyo 
Um, yeah. And then, in, obviously, just as we'd gone into lockdown and then they announced that the games were being postponed a year. And for, for a couple of weeks, that really, really hit me for six. I didn't really know what to do um, because I'm not getting any younger. And I was thinking, can I, can I do this for another year? Can I put my life on hold for another year? Because, mm-hmm. you know, there are, there are other things I'd like to achieve in my life. Um, so it, for, for a couple of weeks, I really didn't know what I was doing. And, um, I said to my coach, like, don't set me a training program for now. Just let me, give me some headspace, please. Like I need to work out. I need, you know, I need to just enjoy riding my bike for a while and, and work out whether I can, I can keep doing this for another year or what. Um, so pretty much for the first six weeks of lockdown I just did I just rode my bike um set myself little targets personal targets with things I wanted to do on a training at home because I do most of my training on a static bike um so I set myself these little targets and different achievements and I started to I just I, it was it was really refreshing like and I, I began to really love training again just purely training trying to better myself there wasn't any stress of I've got this competition coming up and I need to be in this shape right now I need to be doing this right now and I'm not so what am I going to do and you know all that there, there was all that had gone and it was just really refreshing and um stripping it back to the basics really all I did was eat sleep train repeat and yeah. I've never been I've never felt so free and happy and straight like everyone else was getting really stressed in lockdown and I was like yeah this is this is ace. I'm loving life right now um, yeah. so it was it, it was just what I needed really and I yeah. we've, we've sort of touched on it already about the reflection and giving me a chance to work out where things have maybe gone wrong or and that so um so yeah so now I'm, I'm like I'm even more focused on Tokyo for next year than I was probably for this like this year I've kind of started to think I'll oh, just just get to Tokyo and then you can retire just get to Tokyo and then you can retire and um, whereas now I'm like um I'm really excited for the prospect of Tokyo and not the prospect of retiring and I don't even know if I would uh, I want to retire anymore I, I don't I don't really know I, you know yeah so. I suppose going to that is it like I think we touched on earlier that you know you've got to enjoy it yeah. what you're doing before you can go any further and obviously you regaining that enjoyment and you know being able to just do it because you love it kind of re you know you rediscovered that or not it's not like you lose your passion for yeah. it but you, you you know you it's a change you've of, changed your outlook kind of thing you fo- I've yeah. changed the focus a bit because um, did they, did they not leave it did they not um postpone the Paralympics for quite late on um it was it was April time I think some people thought it was quite late I was you know I, I don't really know I, it's hard to kind of mm. really remember anymore because it in some ways it feels like a lifetime ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah it does it's yeah just yeah, so crazy I, I don't it's a big people uh, yeah. uh, did, did did that actually happen did I actually sit <laughs> for, for two three months and do uh, nothing I don't, it's, um, it's mad so what has 
kind of, I know uh, we're not really out of it yet, mm-hmm. but what was when things started to open and whatever, was that was that a good feeling for you? Was that like, yeah, let's, um, let's, let's go with it? I was a bit hesitant, to be honest. I, I realised during lockdown that I, I'm not, my, I'm not a massive people person. I quite like my own company, and I don't, you know. So it was quite, I was quite happy being in my own little bubble. Um, mm. But I've start, I now find it quite frustrating. We're in that kind of situation where I don't really know what we're meant to do and what we're not meant to do, and guidelines say this and then they say that, and it's all very contradictory. So it's hard to know what's right and what's wrong anymore, and hard. Yeah. It's hard to know what how bad the risk is and 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 that so i guess i've just been sticking with what i'm comfortable with um i know i was very hesitant to start going back on public transport um for for a long time and i even now that i do try and avoid i've always done like my online you know grocery shopping i do it all online um Mm. because i don't like shopping in supermarkets anyway but um i you know i i I do try and avoid things as much as possible and and just because the the like social distancing is very hard for someone with a visual impairment and i use a guide dog yeah. um and my, my dog doesn't understand it she doesn't understand yeah. arrows and as, as amazing as they are they don't yeah, yeah. they don't get mad yeah um and they don't you know and it's fine if if you're with around people who do respect the social distancing not everyone is and not everyone does and you know trusting everyone i i haven't i have a you know i don't i don't trust everyone to be as strict as i am so it is it's 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 a strange it's a strange situation we're in really um yeah it's like i said we we don't one day we're being told one thing the next day it's something else and we're going back and forth one step forward two steps back and we're like what what you know (laughs) what do we actually do where do we actually go what but it's it's what? taught me it, uh, a couple of things i have really learned is to focus on the you know the the most important things in life are that you're happy um and mm. that you you surround yourself with people who love and respect you um and if you're you know that's that should always be your pri- priority in life of of focus on what makes you happy um and look after yourself and look after the people that are you know that mean the most to you um yeah. and don't take things for granted yeah definitely yeah and let's touch on one thing i said am i right in saying you're a, a bit of a, a chef <laughs> yeah i love food <laughs> food is so is that, behind side is that always something you've developed or is that i think it 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 started um, when I started to be more serious about cycling, so it kind of became um, our interest of how to eat as healthily as possible. Um, and, and that's where it developed from. And then post uh, Rio, and, and I was talking to, in, within the, the sort, sort of support network of being an elite athlete, we get what's called performance lifestyles guidance. Um, and I kind of highlighted to him like I need something else other than sport to focus on like I can't just do can't think 
eat, sleep, cycling every day. It's it's yeah. draining. I need I need a d- distraction. And we were talking about it and it came off how much I love food and and things like that and cooking and and how I I use cooking to relax. So I, I there's nothing I love more than coming home from training and cooking a meal. Um mm. and it so he was like, oh, you should start a blog. Um and it, and so I did. Basically, I set up this blog and it it kind of stems from the fact one of the most commonly asked questions when I talk to people about what I do is, oh, what's the diet like? Do you have to be really strict with your diet? You bet what what can't you eat? I bet you can't eat, you know. And and I thought, well, actually, my diet's very really varied. Um, I eat what I want when I want, but I'm mm. you know I I just make sure it's it's varied and sensible and um, balanced. So yeah. and that, that's kind of what I want to get across in my in my blog of how how it is really simple to be healthy and you can still enjoy yourself and love eating what you want to eat. Um, mm. So yeah, so I, I I post quite a lot of different recipes I make, um, and I've also kind of focused on how I do it as a vision impaired person, how I how I cook independently. Um, how I manage in the kitchen, if there's anything I use, you know, to adapt, hopefully to create a resource for other people with a visual impairment to go and, you know, find how how to build their confidence in the kitchen um, and to encourage more people with a visual impairment to be a bit more creative and confident in the kitchen. Like the amount of people that just because it's simple and they're a bit scared of, of, their environment turn to microwave meals or frozen meals and ready meals and they're so unhealthy really and you don't get you know you definitely that, don't get the same enjoyment of it and one of the biggest things yeah. I find for me for cooking is but you know like so I do all the cooking in the house but there's there's loads of jobs meals as in the house so between us like we do different things but it's about that providing um, providing a meal for someone and looking after that person who who does a lot for you and looks after you, it you know it, it kind of goes both ways and that sort of feeling satisfaction of yeah I've I've looked after him today or I've done something nice and, yeah, um, exactly. it just gives you that validation of you know self validation kind of thing self worth um, and I have to say I like the uh... I like the name. Yeah, uh, blendingly like, good food. Yeah, yeah, so it's a uh, good good play on words. Yeah, we're, we're blessed with that as Brisbane Vernon Blanc. There's a lot of play on words you can just throw, and people are like, oh, that's, that's smart. It's, it's <laughs> it is very popular. I'm I'm quite proud of it. Um, I can't take full um full claim to to coming up with it. Um, it was partly my my per, um performance lifestyle coach that we were talking I was talking to he we sat for over an hour together coming up with all sorts of names and we, we sat there and no don't like it no don't like it come up so all sorts and we were, we were yeah. feeling really disheartened so we're like we need to take a break shut my laptop kind of completely started talking about something else like and then out of the blue we just went blindingly good food <laughs> yes <laughs> um so yeah, so that's yeah, I've been doing that for um kind of nearly two years now, and I do I, I love it. 
um at first i was very strict with like posting all the time um but now yeah. i've kind of got to the point where i i it's not so regular because i've not got as much to talk, to talk about and i don't want to kind of fill it with rubbish I, I, i'd rather just talk about things when there's something to talk about um mm. so yeah so it's you know it, it, i use it i use it for me really for my own personal mental health and and hopefully yeah. other people benefit from it as well so what what would you say uh your favorite your favorite thing to make is i love to cook curries um i love i love the different spices especially like the smells of of the spices while they're cooking and mm. and things like that so um but i'm i'm quite known for putting sweet fruit in my in my um savory and it's something oh, quite a lot of people it, it does divide the crowd but i love to cook with pineapple <laughs> and mango and um i like to i like to try different flavors and um yeah. explore different things really um it's it's really funny so when when i'm training and then when i have a training program and they're different like that to do with cycling i'm so regimented and i like i if, you know if i have a program if i have something set that i I have to do that today and i have to hit those powers and i have to hit those targets and i'm so strict and pedantic about it and then mm. when it comes to cooking i cannot follow a recipe i cannot do what i'm told i cannot you know like they say the, the prescribed amounts and, and i just can't stick to it at all it's it's like um, you know chalk and cheese of, of training and then cooking and um, yeah I, I guess it's do you just because you know, because you've got it's 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 just you and you've got more of a freedom to yeah. do what you want and it i think it's just my opportunity to, to be creative like that's my creativity yeah. coming through um and it's i think it's when i feel at my most like sell you know me that it's me when i'm cooking and mm. i can show my own personality and when i'm when i'm riding a bike there's two of us there's not you know it's not just me there's it's it's definitely a team thing um yeah so maybe that's that's something to do with that i don't know but yeah i i do i i love cooking i love food and that's yeah. kind of where i want to go when i when i do retire from sport um, I'd like to kind of explore more sort of opportunity to do with food and what I'd really love to do, do is develop a cooking show um, where we get okay. TV chefs in and blindfold them and All challenge right. them to, to make things and, and <laughs> or just something along those lines again just to try and aware, raise awareness of visual impairment and, and hopefully yeah. that could then translate into people's experiences in restaurants like how how we can ensure that visually impaired people are fully catered for and um because the amount so neil uh, i mean my husband is is visually impaired as well he's got rp so he's night blind and the amount of restaurants mm. that are so poorly lit for for mood lighting obviously but then it just means he he really can't enjoy his meal because he can't you know he can't see <laughs> he's not which sounds silly because i can't see but i'm used to it whereas he he isn't used to it he you know it's mm. it's a lot more disorientating for someone to suddenly be blindfolded um that, that um that that 
TV show would be interesting to see people like what yeah, happens. Yeah, I, th- I think it's great. <laughs> I'd love. I I really would love to set it up at some point. I don't. Uh, um, I I don't have the contacts yet. Or of no. But, but um, I am working on it. YouTube could could probably be a yeah. good good platform something like that. That's considering you've got your own, you know, your own freedom and yeah. My my problem is I'm, I'm a real technophobe. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's just me, but as soon as I touch anything, like it, it breaks. <laughs> so I just... yeah, it happens to the best of us, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah. But one one big question for me when it comes to food is: you say you like putting fruit and what have you on food. Yeah. Do you put Do you put pineapple on pizza? I wouldn't. I I don't. Um, no, I wouldn't. At least if it's <laughs> if it's given to me, I would happily eat it. Yeah. But my 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 favorite pizza topping is olives, anchovies, and capers. That would oh, be that, that would be my or um, there's um there's a place near us in Altrincham where we live that does a bit different pizzas, and there's one there where it's parma ham, goat's cheese, and fig, and that's that's a good mm. that's a good combo on a pizza. These are these are like aliens to me. I'm just used to the. Are you, are you a Domino's man or a Pizza Hut? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Domino's. Domino's. <laughs> yeah. I only ask a pineapple pizza one because I just I can't get on board with no. that. That's all. Um, one of my life hates. Yeah, I make um we make a really good chicken curry with pineapple. Um, it's actually it's pineapple and banana, which people make. Wow, um, that's but it. so the the banana cooks down and almost becomes a bit like it's quite starchy, so it becomes like potato. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's a Caribbean curry, so you make like coconut rice, um, and yeah, it's, it's probably mm. it's it's um, Neil's favorite meal that I make. Like he he always likes it when I make that. Um, just sound interesting yeah yeah so one more thing i'm cooking actually have you ever been to the restaurant in london the Monte yeah yes i've done um i did a wine tasting there uh, a couple of years ago now with a charity called fight for sight um mm. and i thought it was brilliant it's the, it's the place i felt where like i was i was winning at, at life compared to everyone <laughs> else around me <laughs> Um, yeah. I was in my element, but I also did find it, which is something that's quite interesting. Um, I found because it's so pitch black, I found it quite yeah. like oppressive. Because even though mm. I don't, you know, I do, I do pick up light and dark, um, so I can tell when the, the sun is out and things like that. I do have some sort of light perception. So for there to be nothing, it did feel quite in, almost intimidating. Um, but I did. I loved. I loved watching everyone else's sort of reaction and and that. Yeah, bit, I, I went there last year. Yeah, with my partner at the time, who was who is who was for like is for the side and mm. was for the side, and it was just. It's a brilliant. It was concept. funny because. Yeah, it's like. Ha, yeah. Now you know what's right to admit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's um, it's it's something I think more people. I, I I keep telling the, um, my coach and, and, and our team manager in Bristol Cycling that we should do a team mm. building session there because I think it'd be yeah. very beneficial to a lot of people to just 
to experience what it's you know a bit more yeah. what it's like and have to actually because you can stick a blindfold on someone and guide them around and things like that but to actually mm. sit and do try and do a day-to-day -day task and feed yourself and sit there and and, and you know for a couple of hours it, it's it's very different yeah it's it's um yeah it's definitely a, an interesting concept that I, I and i think it i think it adds to it that you don't know what you're getting yeah. you just say you say you want red meat fish or vegetarian yeah. and that's it you, you get what you're given and <laughs> If you don't like it, then yeah, oh, exactly. So I, I, I'd love to know how many people go into that. That you know, like if they said the sort of things they don't like, and then if they got given them, they'd eat it and they'd enjoy it. But they, they say they don't like it because they don't like the way it looks. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting actually. Yeah, that's that is a, it's just a great place, yeah. despite it being slightly uh expensive but it's i think if you go the once it's yeah it's one of them a one-off experience isn't it that you talk about yeah. for a while after yeah exactly yeah so suppose to round up um well, we obviously already touched on the strange times you're in now mm. and you've already said that obviously tokyo is your your goal at the moment is that have you got plans or hopes beyond <laughs> tokyo or is that kind of your sole focus at the moment no obviously like um Cycling wise, Tokyo is the next big goal. Um, and then after that, I am going to just reassess and see where there are definitely things I'd still like to achieve with cycling. Um, but there yeah. are other things in life that I'd like to achieve off the bike as well. Um, I, um, you know, I'm not getting any younger and I would like, I would like a family at some point. Um, so, you know, those sort of things need to think about. Um, and and I'd love to I'd love to grow the sort of blindingly good food blog. Um, um, and look into what I can do with food and yeah, and definitely. that. So so yeah, it's exciting really. It's, it's, so if if people want to do want to have a browse on your blog, where can they uh, where can yeah, they find so, it? Yeah, um, so the website is www.blindinglygoodfood.co.uk. Um, and then yeah, there's there's a few plenty of stuff on there, recipes and tips and advice, and there's a few um, mm. where I've gone through a few ingredients I use quite regularly and give the kind of nutrition of them and why you know yeah. how to prepare them, how to cook them, and, and things like that. So yeah, there's quite a lot in there really. So I'm sure there has been time because I know a couple of people who are between color blind and cooking is like their one of their passions and. I'm sure that the way people describe the place of food sometimes actually sounds nicer than actually looking at it. Sometimes it can work both ways, though. Like I, I once um, someone uh, this this um, sticks in my mind. There were a couple of plums um, um, in a fruit bowl, and a friend said, "Oh, they look a bit like two gonads," and I was like, "That really isn't selling them." So it definitely does work both ways. <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah I mean, it's, it's, it's i think it's 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 and it all comes down to like the, the, per, the person's creativity yes. in it someone could go oh there's a you get real insight into the workings of other people's yeah. minds don't you <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, i suppose it's slightly worrying sometimes, yeah yeah definitely one of those ones you just have to just deal with it yeah. i suppose and and laugh yeah. but, exactly you just yeah. gotta keep laughing that, that's always my tip exactly yeah 
that's that's the way forward so yeah um thank you for coming no on and talking about your your story and, and everything around it um if people want to find you obviously you already plugged your your, your blog if people want to find you on on social media yeah, um, um, i'm on twitter um mainly and then both i've got my my personal account which is at laura turnham which is my maiden name mm. i've still not updated it <laughs> and then my um blindingly good food has also got a twitter handle which is um at blindingly gf so they're, they're both there for, for people to have looked at yeah. I, I shall I, I think i'm already following yeah. so i'll give that other one of cool have some so yeah so thank you to uh, thank you to yourself for coming on um i hope people have um enjoyed listening i certainly have enjoyed talking to you thank you for having me and yeah i'll catch you all very soon